All right, welcome. Good morning. I'm so excited to have you ladies here. Team Chewy representing. Uh, I'm Lisa Jacobson, the founder of Leading Latina, and I have four special ladies here with me today. Um, I'm going to start off by asking you to introduce yourselves. Um, and, you know, at the top of my screen, I have Julissa. So, Julissa, if you could just give us a little bit of background on who you are, and then we'll go from there. And then I'll ask you to pass it on to the next person. Great. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks for having us. My name is Julissa Santoy Gold. Uh, born and raised in Chicago, Southwest Side, Gage Park, and uh, CPS alumni, Whitney Young High School, 07. I've <laughs> uh, been with Congressman Garcia for three years now in Congress for almost 10 in January. So happy to be here with some of my colleagues. And I'll kick it over to uh, Maria, who I see on screen here. Hello, good morning. I'm Maria Velasquez. I was born and raised in Humboldt Park. I went to Lane Tech High School, and then I went to University of Iowa. Then I came back to Chicago, and I moved to Pilsen, and I've been living here ever since. Um, and yeah, I'll pass it over to Patty Garcia. Thank you, Maria. Uh, Patty Garcia here, buenos dias. Um, born and uh, partly raised in La Villita, Chicago Southwest Side, to Mexican parents, um, first generation, oldest of three. Um, after Little Village, my parents moved to Cicero, so that's where I've uh, remained outside of the time that I've spent in, in college, and then when I moved um, outside of Illinois. Um, I'm fortunate to have come back home, right? Um, yeah. like, like many um, have come back and uh, been able to give back, and I currently work with Congressman Chuy Garcia as his district director, but it's not my first time. I worked with him before in my first campaign about uh, 12 years ago, so I'll pass it over to Lynette. Hi, good morning. Um, happy to be here. Um, also, you know, born and raised in Chicago in Pilsen Little Village, daughter of Mexican immigrants, proud product of CPS. Um, and I've been with the congressman for about three years now, and I've been in DC now for five years. I'm really homesick. And, <laughs> um, um, and yeah, I'll uh, kick it back over to you, Lisa. Wonderful. So wait, I have to do a little check. Are we all Mexicanas on here? Or I don't want to make that hey. assumption. Yes. Okay. Now we got to do this. You know, the next question. <laughs> there we go. There we go. <laughs> Durango all the way. <laughs> Lito, Durango. Guerrero. Monterrey. <laughs> and then you're Monterrey. Monterrey, arriba el norte. El norte, el centro, el sur, el Then um, uh, my parents are from Michoacán. So there we go. We have a nice representation. <laughs> Um, across the board, that's always whenever we're you know with Mexican folks, we always got to ask that question. <laughs> Where are your parents from? <laughs> All right, so I'm going to start with you, Lynette, um, and then if, if anyone else wants to jump in, uh, but my first question to all of you is, you know, what drives you? What what is something that um, you often reach back into to remind yourself, like why you're doing this, why you do this work? Why did you choose this work? Can we just kind of start there? Um, I guess I'll start off with how I got here. So after grad school, I was a caseworker in Gage Park, actually, mm -hmm. um, dealing with SNAP and Medicaid. And long story short, it's a really rigid system. And it was so frustrating to have 19-year-olds come to me almost every day. Hey, I am no longer on my Medicaid. And I'd have to explain to them that's because, you know, um, you're a DACA recipient. And so you're not eligible for that. And so it was really frustrating. And 
Um, as a caseworker, you can't make change. There's no way to change policy. And that's what drove me to, to DC. I did a fellowship with uh, CHCI and that's sort of how I um, you know, got here. And that's what drives me, honestly. It's just such a privileged position to be in, um, mm-hmm. to be able to influence policy. And so that's sort of um, how I got here and what drives me. So working with those DACA recipients and seeing their challenges is what really um, kind of pushed you into this work to make change, essentially, Mm -hmm. right? Anyone else want to jump in? Uh, I can take a stab at it. One of my um, earliest young memories, right, as a a daughter of immigrant parents, is my parents going to a citizenship workshop at a church nearby at St. Rita, hosted by former representative Gutierrez, right? I remember going to the church, filling out the paperwork, my parents going through the process and boom, right, citizens. So I think being the oldest in my family, one of the oldest cousins in the family, having gone to U of I, you know, set that path for them, having family look up, you know, to the, la que está más preparada, right? Oh. For questions, uh, mija, ¿qué hago con esto? No sé qué hacer, ¿a dónde voy? And I think being that resource within the family really reminded me that it's not just my parents that have these questions, it's not my tia, my tío, it's my neighbors, it's my friends, it's my schoolmates. So really community and family, I think is what is a big driver personally for me. Let's you know, go next. Um, I think there's, I've, we've all had this, you know, listening to, to Lynette and Julissa, these kind of like moments of epiphany, right? That either uh, wake us up on something that we didn't understand existed or shape us to take a next step, right? I think, and we have various of those through, throughout our time. I think for, for me, one of the ones that most stands out to me uh, was being in, in college and having to decide, right? What to study, what do I wanna do? And I know that disparities exist, right? But what do I do? You know, you feel like this small compared to this big structure. And so I had to do a, a speech for class on education and I remember, uh, started going through my speech. I found this article about the tax property and how schools were funded. Yes. And I think the more I read it, the more I read it, like, you know, my ears started feeling hot. Like, I don't know how you, you react, right? When you're upset, when you're mad, or you're like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. You know, feeling that like fire inside, like, how can this be possible? How are we ever going to get out of poverty or move up in our society if it's all a cycle? Mm-hmm. Property taxes fund schools. Schools then determine what opportunities you have. Your opportunities are based on where you can live. And again, never-ending cycle. And so I think it was, you know, it was that moment where I was like, I need to go into some type of like policy or politics. But you know, underlined all that was this kind of like when you talk, say the word drive. It was that that fire in the belly of like, this isn't right. This isn't just right. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, that's been central to everything I do. Trying to be on the right side, trying to fight for racial, economic, social justice, you know, whatever you want to name it, but it's to make sure that everyone has equitable access. And that has been the driving force or the common sort of denominator and whatever step or action I've taken in my life to make sure that I'm doing something to make sure that, you know, I'm, I'm bring, bridging those gaps and that um, whether it's myself or my sisters or a family or our neighbors, everybody has access to the resources just as anybody else would. Mm, girl. As an educator, you struck a chord with the way we fund public education, particularly in the state of Illinois, um, is extremely frustrating. I, I also had an epiphany like that, where I was reading um, 
still separate, still unequal. It was an article and it talked a lot about that funding. And I also had that fire in my belly that I was like, what? I mean, back then I was younger, so I was a little more, you know, um, I don't want to say it. Like I was just more fiery, right? Like I didn't know. Unfiltered, how to, unfiltered. Unfiltered, there you go. I was much more unfiltered. I didn't know how to channel that energy, right? So I was just like going off and anyone I would talk to. Um, and that is a large reason too why, um, aside from being a teacher, I wanted to become an educator that will eventually lead because like you, it's that, that feeling of... Um, a mission beyond us. That's what I hear. Um, Maria, if you want to jump in and, and kind of talk a little bit about what drives you, but right now the theme that I'm noticing, and I think is very um, typical of Latinas who go into any sort of public service field is that it's not just for your family. It's not just for your friends. It's like for our whole community. And I don't know that if like all these other groups um, feel that sense of responsibility like we do as Latinas. Yeah, I think similarly to all of my colleagues here, I think what really does drive me from the beginning, I feel now look, looking back, my mom kind of has been a community organizer all her life without knowing it. Really? Really connecting like our, our building, like our, our block, getting resources involved with the church. And I was always right next to her, like going to her to all these things. And I didn't realize that then, right? I also didn't realize that being able to community organize was a job, right? That I could be in that space that I could be involved and and also like you know get paid for it to be able to move up because that's also very important um and I think when I did my internship at CHCI also I, I in DC I realized that there is so much more out there that I could be doing that I don't have to compromise in terms of what I want to do on my day-to-day -day and feel that I'm creating impact wherever I am and I think throughout all the roles that I've played they're all been community focused and I'm able to still be connected with my community and Chicago will always be home. I love DC, um, but Chicago <laughs> will always be home and I always come back here. Um, and I think working with Congressman Garcia has been truly an honor to be able to work with his team, learn from all the amazing folks that I get to work with every day. I um, mean, continue to you know bring folks that, you know, other young Latinas, other women that want to be in this space um, or any, any way that I can being that bridge for them. Beautiful. And so <clears throat> you kind of alluded to my next question, uh, Maria, you know, I when I first started, I introduced you all as Team Chewy. But can you for this next question, can you tell us exactly what your role is um, as being part of that team? And what do you think maybe is a common myth or something that often people get wrong about the work that you do? I just started in this role a year ago in January, so I'm still learning within my role, but I'm currently the district outreach manager. So what that means is that I oversee all of our policy areas in terms of what, what is happening in the district, what are things that need to be related to our DC team, and what events, what resources the community needing, and how can we get them to them um, in essence. And I feel like, Patty, you can jump in. What else do I do? I feel like I'm still like, every time I have to <laughs> myself, I'm like, is that everything that I do? Is that, did I get that right? Uh, I, description. She, she, she does much more than that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in essence, I think that that's what I do. I'm currently with Congressman Garcia, I'm learning every day and then being, you know, being that ear on the ground for, for the office for, and working collaboratively with, with our team. Um, and I think a myth, oftentimes, I feel, I don't know if it's so, so much of a, of a myth for Latinas, but I think we're never given the opportunity to lead. And I feel like we're never like, 
looked at as the first person. Like, I feel like oftentimes we get overlooked mm. and, and we never are given that confidence that oftentimes gets just given to men, right? Without having to prove themselves. And I feel that that, that needs to stop, right? I think that that under, underlying bias of like just overlooking women right away is something that we need to, to move past because I feel like more often than not, right? It's women doing the work behind the scenes, women, you know, writing whatever that man is speaking, what, you know, like who's organizing the event, who brought the people together. Oftentimes it's women and we tend to not take um, responsibility, not responsibility, we tend, we like to not take ownership, I feel sometimes. Or credit, or, right? Yes. Or credit, we're always like all of us, we all did it. Um, and sometimes it's okay to, to take the credit for all the, the work that you've done. Oh, girl, you just struck a chord with me again. You know, there is that layer of, you know, women not getting the credit, but then add that additional layer of being a Latina. I mean, it really is a, an important um, intersection that I think we don't often discuss. And, you know, we are the, um, even within women, we don't earn as much as our black and white counterparts. Um, and also this idea of it's really challenging, even for me to be in a space where I am in a leadership role, but I also deal with like, I grew up where my parents are like, you gotta be humble and it's all about humility. And then when you're like in an American system, it's all about the individual. It's all about the competition. It's all about the competition. It's all about the individual and um, often, you know, I, I struggle with that. Like, do I take credit for this? Do I not? And then if I don't take the credit, you know, I'm at the risk that someone else will take the credit for my work. So there's a lot there to unpack. And I think you're spot on in terms of like behind what all the people see is a bunch of women or in your case, Latinas, because we're so detail oriented, you know, I don't know, I don't want to generalize or stereotype, but when I've worked with my male counterparts, I feel like we're much more into the nitty gritty details. Whereas I think if men just like organize themselves, they'd be missing a lot of little important points. <laughs> um, Julissa, do you have any, can you tell us a little bit what you do? And do you have any myths or uh, misconceptions that you consistently come across? Oh, all the time. So I currently serve as a congressman's director of operations and scheduling. So I have a sort of hybrid role where on the scheduling side of things in charge of the congressman's, you know, pretty much life, if you want to call it, uh, his agenda, making sure that we're strategically in the short term and long term, you know, putting him in right of the front folks um, in front of groups he hasn't met before, making sure he's, you know, touching all parts of the district. I guess serving as sort of a liaison between the congressman, the office, and outside groups, other governments, et cetera. On the director of operations side, um, I oversee the operations of three offices, one in Chicago, two in Chicago, one in DC. So everything from just daily ops to did we pay the rent? Um, you know, <laughs> things like that. Um, That's I important. Keep the lights on, folks. It's important. I mean Carolinas, but we'll still pay it. <laughs> Um, overseeing the office budget so kind of everyone's payroll a lot of things right so I think a common misconception in my role particularly is oh you're the congressman's secretary mm. right um, you're here to take my message um, oh I just it's I'm only do I'm only talking to you because it's a formality but in reality the congressman has put that trust in me right he trusts that 
because I've been in the space for so long, know the constituency, know the district fairly well. Like I mentioned earlier, this January will be my 10th year working for the fourth district of Illinois. And he understands that I understand the nuances, the relationships, et cetera. But so when someone comes to me, they're like, oh, well, tu la secretaria, can you just pass this message along? Well, why do I have to talk to you? Well, because to talk to him, you have to talk to me. Mm. So it's mm-hmm. often a misconception that, oh, you're just like a, a stepping stone to get to where I need to be. But in reality, um, you know, gatekeeper, uh, air traffic controller, whatever you want to call it. So I think that's uh, one of the things that I'm constantly, you know, being faced with in the job. Mm. Yeah, you know, that kind of goes right to my point that you, I'm sure, have to be extremely organized, extremely detail oriented. You have to be able to multitask. You have to be able to um, prioritize, right? I, I would assume that people are trying to come at him or talk to get a, um, a hold of him. And you have to kind of be that one to determine, yes, this is worth pushing forward or no, this isn't, right? So it's way beyond a secretary. Good job, girl. Um, Patty, did you want to jump in? Yeah, certainly here. So, you know, Julissa and I kind of tag team on, on the schedule. So, um, you know, when she was uh, in, in D.C., handled all, all of D.C. and uh, my handled uh, Chicago. Um, and as you know, right, the group's here. He's He's been here for 40 years as an elected official, as a public servant. And he's also been very accessible to folks. Everyone, I, I kid not, I think like 90% of Chicagoans have a cell phone, right? And so having to manage... Uh, his schedule here in Chicago of, you know, he's got 10 slots that we can fill in with, you know, to your point, what do we need to prioritize? What's urgent? Um, who hasn't he talked to recently? So that's, what, you know, one component that it does get really difficult because I think people have, one of the things coming into this role um, and, and not the role only, but the opening the office and his transition to DC that we were very intentional about was the Congressman has to remain a humble, accessible Chicago individual, right? That's what got him there. And that's what will keep him there. And we have to make sure that people don't see this transition to DC as like, oh, yes, and DC, yeah, he doesn't care about us. He's the DC person. It happens, unfortunately, a lot with people in Congress. And so we wanted to make sure that that didn't happen, and that people still felt that he was accessible. So what that meant was, you know, when when uh, one of our first conversations, when he um, asked me if I was interested in this role was, I said, what does a district director do? I have never even stepped foot in a district director office, like our district office. I've done lobby visits, advocacy visits, you know, trained elected officials to go on the Hill, but I've actually never been in a district office. And he said, look, bottom line, you're my ears and my eyes in the district. When I'm not in DC, you need to know before I know what's going on. Oh, and you need to be able to speak on behalf of me. And I'm like, that's a huge responsibility. So when, you know, especially when he's in DC, uh, you know, the, with the pandemic, the schedule has changed a, a bit, but being in DC, you know, three to four weeks, sometimes uh, out of a month, it means that I'm having to go into meetings with, what would Jesus do, right? What would he, think? <laughs> what would he say? <laughs> what, would he, what would he push back on, you know? And, mm-hmm. and sometimes in, in spaces where, you know, it's very male dominated. Mm-hmm. Um, outside of being his district director, I'm also his campaign advisor. So I've been with him for three different cycles. And my first experience with him was on a campaign. So I know his, uh, you know, uh, Congressman Garcia, and I know the elected official, more candidate, Chuy Garcia, which, mm-hmm. um, you know, in those political spaces, you, you 
kind of break down some of the like the formality and you have to be more and more engaging and um, a lot of uh, uh, emotions, right, uh, come through in those spaces. But I think that um, it, it's been, it, I will say in terms of the, the myth, um, it, it's the same no matter no matter how you look or what your title is, like oftentimes people oh, eres asistente? Mm. Hola, soy doctora García. That's where I throw in the doctor. Soy doctora García, soy la directora del, del congresista, or mm -hmm. la, uh, la que ayuda en la, en la campaña, right? Mm -hmm. But it is a very uh, tough, tough role, I would say. Um, easy because his name opens doors. Tough because he's been so accessible that people expect that same type of accessibility. So um, yeah. Julie said, I'm sure agrees. Like, we've got no problem being the people to say, no, he can't do that. No, sorry, you're going to have to talk to a staff member. No, mm. I will not forward that call until you tell me exactly what you want to talk about. <laughs> mm, that's beautiful. Listen, we had the privilege. So I also host Black Barn and Bilingue with one of my colleagues. And I was able to um, interview him for an episode. We talked a lot about the teacher shortage and the Diversify Act. And um, he was so down to earth, so relatable. And I remember I went out to eat with my parents that weekend and I'm like, I interviewed Chuy Garcia and my dad remembered him from back in the day in the city. He was like, oh, see, yo, yo recuerdo de él. It was like so crazy. And my mom like could not believe that I actually was able to um, sit down and have a conversation with him. And I think that's the beauty of, of, of Chewy, right? That like, even though he's in DC, I feel like there's still, our, our people really still feel that connection or they remember him just from his visibility and how open and accessible he's been. Um, but that just speaks to also the work that you ladies do to make sure that he keeps a pulse on what's going on in our community. Um, Lynette, why don't you come in? Cause you're, you're out in DC. Um, what is the common myth about what you do? And can you tell us a little bit about what you do? Yeah, um, so I handle the congressman's uh, immigration, health, education, and other portfolios. I tag team with Patty on immigration and ed. Um, I think a common misconception, and Patty, you kind of touched on this, is that DC so hot of touch. They live in their own bubble. They're you know not in tune with what's happening on the ground, and rightfully so. I think there are a lot of members, a lot of staff. A lot of folks here in DC who live in their DC bubble, um, but I've also met, you know, so many amazing people on the Hill who I think are here for, you know, the right reasons. You know, we're here to like fight for like working families, immigrant communities, um, and I always try to like, all, you know, whenever we do letters or you know, I think of a of a bill, you know, I always think like, what would my mom, being a constituent, like, how does how would she interpret this? what does this mean to her? So I always try to, you know, beyond just getting the news, um, you know, figuring out like what's happening in Chicago, like what is, what we do here, what does that mean for, for Chicago? Wow, that's a, that's a lot that um, happens. You know, I'm just gonna tell you as a person who's outside of the political realm, um, I think that many people also underestimate um, just how hard it is to get something to pass right? And really understanding, um, you know, just how our political system works. I think as an educator, right, I don't think we do a very good job on explaining some of the, like the civics classes. They really, we don't do enough to get young people 
interested in politics or even just understanding how important it is to vote outside of, you know, general elections. General elections don't affect you as much as some of the local elections taking place in your community. Um, and so for me, I know that that's something that as educators we're talking a lot about is how do we engage our students so that as they get older and get a voting age, become more involved in the political process. Um, so for my next question, I'm going to jump around here a little bit. Um, what do you all think that Latinas in particular bring to an organization that other people may not know? Like what values do you think um, people should know about? I can start on that one. You know, I think, um, and I'm sure mis colegas will agree, right? To, you know, keep it at the very practical sort of basic um, given our experiences, right, whether it was going through public, the Chicago public school system or having to help our, our parents or our siblings or our friends from the church navigate through social services, right, I think that it's a, it's a very uh, unique perspective that others may not have uh, experienced. So I think the experience alone, right, uh, is huge that we oftentimes don't uh, validate as experienced, right? We think like, oh, it's anybody else deals with this. And that, the reality is that no, privilege does exist. And many people don't have to deal with having to find a ch affordable childcare or having to, you know, find a, a, a sitter because you can't afford childcare, right? Mm -hmm. Having to stay in front of the, the, the TV for a few hours. Meanwhile, your, your mom gets home, like things like that, right? I think that those are the things that we think about as we're trying to um, either shape a policy outcome or, of something or speak more to, to uh, what's going on in, in the community. I think the other piece too is, you know, um, something as simple as picking up the phone and hearing from one of the constituents of, of what they're dealing with, right? Um, and not to be uh, stereotypical or over, or over generalized, but empathy, right? We have, I think, a, a natural trait. It is, it is intrinsically natural trait to be able to connect with folks and to be able to listen and, and to connect because of those experiences, right? I think had a, a white affluent man from the suburbs picked up that phone, same phone call, they'd have a whole different perspective, a whole different sort of yeah. like one understanding and two therefore actions and outcomes, right? Or they would have right. just dismissed the person altogether. So I think as something as either taking a phone call to, you know, Lynette, like being able to draft policy based on that experience or being able to, you know, draft a program. Hey, you know what? There's a new tax credit that's available, but our our, our homes don't have uh, internet. You know, we we're experiencing the digital divide. So maybe we do need to do a workshop for parents to understand how to navigate this this government uh, program. Mm -hmm. So I think mm -hmm. all of that, you know, being able to bring that that perspective, it is very um, beneficial. And for me, there's a. I remember when. Uh, Sotomayor, uh, Court Justice Sotomayor was, was uh, nominated. There were so many people criticizing, right? Like, oh, this Latina, she's gonna be biased. This Latina's gonna mm -hmm. be biased. And you know, her, her response to folks was, everyone comes with a bias. Like mm -hmm. my bias is my experience that brings my strength. That is, you know, where that whole phrase of like, I'm a wise Latina, I come with all my wisdom. Mm. And I think so for so long, we've been taught to kind of like leave that at the door in order for you to be able to succeed in a certain space. You have to leave the emotions, leave the experience, leave the culture, all of that at the door. And I'm glad that, you know, we're in the space where we don't have to do that. Mm. Girl, yes. <laughs> so uh, you're kind of speaking to, to like, 
I feel that Latinas, we almost, we know how to navigate um, different spaces, I think, with more ease than, you know, standard white experience. Um, and again, it's not, it's not being critical. I just think it is our ability to navigate different social spaces. Um, I was just having a conversation last night about how I see my students, my little ones, right? My kinders, my first graders, and the cognitive ability to determine okay, in this space, I'm going to speak Spanish and I don't have to have, you know, um, perfect sentences. I don't, I can speak in my weekend language, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, now in this space, I'm a bilingual student and I can use both languages freely, but I, I can't use my weekend language. And that takes a huge amount of cognition, like to be able to make that distinction of where can I use these different um, identities and all my intersections, like that is incredible. And I don't think we do a good job about like elevating that fact and validating that experience because it really is, um, I, I would almost imagine if you put us in like a brain scanning machine <laughs> to see all of the synapses and all the neurons and everything just lighting up to be able to do that. Um, Lynette, do you want to jump into that? Yeah, I mean, just building off of that, I like to think or, you know, that there were like expert code switchers yes. being able to navigate, you know, these complex systems and worlds so fluidly. So like, you know, one minute I may be talking to like a pharma lobbyist and the next minute, you know, I'm talking to Maria and Jalisa about Bad Bunny. Um, <laughs> and it's just this, like, this ability to just be able to like go back and forth, you know, talking to congressional staffers about an upcoming vote and then going back and talking to grassroots groups back home, um, I think is, is a plus and not, you know, um, to be seen as something, you know, the less that we bring up. Yes. It, we tend to look at that from a very deficit standpoint, right? I remember growing up, it was like, oh, this Spanglish, what? And now we know how amazing it is to even be able to do that in code switch. Um, Speak, real quick, speaking of Bad Bunny, did any of you go see him last night? All my friends on Snapchat were all Easy about night. Bad Bunny last night. I'm going in two weeks. <laughs> You're going in two weeks? I went, Thursday. I went on Thursday for his birthday. Did you? She's like, she got to spend his, his birthday. His birthday. birthday. <laughs> happy birthday. Las Mañanitas. No, just kidding. <laughs> the concert. Everyone did. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. I was saying that kind of tongue-in-cheek um <laughs> oh they happen <laughs> that is beautiful yeah and and it, it's true right like being able to do that and, and be able to talk about bad bunny and then go into a political space um I think is definitely a value that Latinas bring to any organization um all right so being in your field again male dominated I'm sure um maybe not a lot of Latinos even what do you think is the most important personality trait or strength that someone needs to work in this field? And, and not only to work, but to be successful in it. That one's tough. I think maybe just like owning it, right? Like Lynette said, like Patty mentioned, there are so many spaces that we exist in. And I think really grounding ourselves in those spaces is what you know propels us into successful spots. Um, being able to know that, you know, to not feel bad. I, I think I used to work in DC. So I just came back from a seven year stint in DC back in the district now. But there was times where I was the only woman in the room. Oh. Honestly, woman period. And then 
not to mention the only Latina. And it was really intimidating at first. I remember telling colleagues back in DC, like, I don't want to go to that meeting again. You know, I, no one looks like me. No one sounds like me. I would never dare say anything because they won't understand. And they're like, well, no, like, it's a perfect opportunity for you to plant a seed that maybe would never have been planted otherwise. So I think um, building that confidence to be in these spaces is going to be really key for us because now I have no problem walking into that room because I know I bring value. I know I bring a different perspective and I know I bring a different experience that folks can benefit from knowing about. It's not so much me being worried about being different. It's me celebrating that I bring something different. So mm. that's been a little bit of my experience in that, in that space. I'll hop in here. Meanwhile, uh, uh, the, the juices, juices keep flowing. So, you know, I think about um, there's several things come to mind. I think, you know, but I know I brought it earlier empathy. I think that uh, it's a consistent one for me, right? Being able to really, even if you like, yes, there's value to the experience you have, but even if you haven't had that experience, being able to connect and understand just by listening, right? I think that that's the other, other piece there that we wouldn't be in this space if we didn't care about people. And that's, mm -hmm. certain, I would say, you know, that one I'll speak on behalf of all of us. Like if we didn't care about people, we wouldn't be here. And I think that um, if someone from, you know, the outsider is thinking like, well, what does it take to, to survive in that space? It, it really is. One of the core things is empathy, being able to connect and understand people and see them for, for what they bring for the, you know, the, um, and, and oftentimes, um, I think uh, that's why people struggle in, in, in this space, right? That they've got their own goal, their own agenda. They're like driven on, you know, like me, me, me and pushing people to the side, toppling over people. I mean, you hear about it all the time and it, it and it's always going to happen, right? But um, I think that it's really important to, to like try to reel those people in and, and try to humble them, right? Of like, it's for the people at the end of the day, the, the work that we do is for the people. And I think two, two other traits that I think about, you know, particularly for, for this role, but for all of us, I would say um, communication and all types of communication, right? You have to be able to communicate interpersonally one-on-one. -on -one. You have to be able to communicate with stakeholders, constituency groups, elected officials. And again, that's where code switching comes in, where I know with the elected officials, I have to be direct and quick. I've got Two minutes. All right, let me deliver. Congressman needs this. Yes. I want to relay that. Or I have to be the one convening the meetings with the electeds, right? And those are tough, right? Mm -hmm. if, especially if, um, you know, there's different personalities, there's different folks that have been in office for, for longer. So it's not just staffing my my congressman, my, my, <laughs> my boss, but also everyone else that may be in that room. And I think by extension, anybody else that he's working with, right? So I would say that that's other piece communication, right? And you know, we've learned, especially during the pandemic, having to deliver and having to uh, communicate on Facebook Live. And, and that's where like yeah. technical communication comes in like, oh my God, how do you work the translation? Oh my God, can you hear me? Oh my God, why is it on Facebook Live, right? From the very practical to the very like, how, com how communication makes someone feel and what they understand, right? What you deliver. Um, and, and then the last trait that I'll talk about, um, which I'm this and I feel like it goes for all of us too, is uh, analytical, like we have the amount of information that we have to digest and remember, and you don't always have the, the, the luxury of being able to write notes, right? There are some meetings that I take in the car where I'm, while, while I'm driving the congressman of like, hey, 
we touch on our agenda and I have already memorized like, okay, these are the six things I need to talk to him while I'm driving, briefing him for the next event, debriefing from the prior event. But these are all the other six things that we need to talk about on the government side and on the political side, right? Like had a conversation with so-and-so, here's the outcome of this, reporting on the outcome of the weekend for the campaign event. And oh, this next meeting you're go to, going to, this is what's gonna be in the room. You have to make sure that you walk away with this and you have to say hi to X, Y, and Z. Right. But also being able to like not overwhelm and mm -hmm. get to the point of, all right, through my 20 meetings with all these different stakeholders, what is what are the three common threads that you need to know for you, for the legislative team for and for whatever else we have to do after. But wow. it, it is having to filter through a lot of information and make the connections yourself because, some you know, it's what's said and then what's not said. Oh my goodness. As a you know what? I think as a teacher, I'm going to show this to my students because <laughs> let me tell you, you know how you're in class and we're teaching kids how to, they're reading comprehension and summarizing the most important facts and X, Y, and Z. I'm going to show them this is a real application. If you ever want to go into politics, you're, 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 um, you should be able to take in a ton of information, weed out the most important facts, and then be able to communicate those. Honey, yes, I cannot wait. My fifth grade um, actually does a civics unit um, and, that, and they actually switched it up this year and I'm really excited. So I am actually gonna sit, take this little sound bite here, Patty, thank you. Because I think that really does give our kids, um, like how is this relevant, right? How do we, what, what, why is it that we're teaching you this? What is the importance of it? So that is fabulous. Um, Maria, I'm gonna come to you. And I'm actually going to ask a different question than the one I sent you guys. I'm sorry, but I'm trying to go with the convo. Hello. Um, okay, Maria, I'll give you some time to think, so don't worry. <laughs> I was just talking to my girlfriends about this and even my husband that because my parents are Mexican immigrants, my parents only went to third grade because they were the oldest. My mom did want to continue to go to school, but she wasn't able to because she had to help. Um, but she loves school. And I, I, I always joke that, like, I definitely got my brains from her and not my dad. <laughs> um, the, uh, but there are still times where like, I remember when I had them at my graduations and when I tell them my day-to-day -day job or when like, I'm coming home late after work, even though the school day is well over, um, I still have to wrap up parent phone calls. Something is always happening in the building, or I need to respond to some emails. Um, and she does not understand that. Right. Like, I still don't think they're proud. I'm not saying they're not proud, but sometimes I'm like, dang, do they even realize what I do? And secondly, do they realize how like hard it was as a Latina to do what I do? Do you ever think of those things, Maria, where like, I don't really think my family, my mom, well, your mom was a community organizer, but even your extended family, That's do you <laughs> Right? Mom doesn't even know she's doing that, to be honest. And then she has been doing it. Um, and I don't think she still knows what I do. She really doesn't. Like, all she knows is I work for Chewy. That's it. That's it. Um, when I was interning in DC, my mom was like, oh, she's working for Obama. I never saw Obama. The <laughs> oh my whole time. my mom did the same thing. My yeah, mom I was like, oh, my daughter works for Obama. So, like, my cousins were texting. And I was like, no, my mom told me. I'm like, I'm working in Congress. I'm an intern, first of all, in Congress. I'm like, and I never saw Obama for the whole time that I was there. I saw Obama later uh, after my internship was over. Oh, but no, my so mom, funny. I don't. 
I don't think my mom has any idea what I really do. And I, I think it's hard for her sometimes to understand oh, it too. Okay. Um, when I have like work after work events or I have to go to a meeting or something, she's like, why? Like, why do you have to do that? Um, even this this morning, because she wanted to have breakfast. I'm like, I can't, I have this. She's like, why? Uh-huh, girl. And, and, and I, don't, I think what I also find hard to explain to her is like the things that I do outside of work, it's because I want to do them. Like I, like I, I volunteer on boards um, where I go to events to support friends and she's all sees everything as work. And I think for me, that's also like difficult to tell her. Like, I actually enjoy it, mom. Like, I feel like I actually, and I also like, finally, I feel found a place where I am truly happy in my job. And I'm not just saying this because, you know, all my colleagues are here, <laughs> but I think to bringing you back to what Patty said, I feel like oftentimes I've been in spaces where they claim that they want your authentic self, but they don't really embrace it. Um, and I feel like in our team, we really do do that. And I always feel very supported and, and, and happy to be myself, right? And not afraid to it. I think it's very well, very much celebrated and accepted. Um, but back to bringing it back to the question. No, I think it's really hard to explain to my mom exactly what is it that I do and, and what. I think she knows why I do what I do. I think she gets that for sure. Um, but she just doesn't understand. Um, and also doesn't, I, I went to school in Iowa also. So I, was, I went to school away my mom didn't really get to see me as often. Like I would purposely right. only come during breaks, only big breaks. And I did that for multiple reasons. Um, financials being the first. Second, I knew if I came more often, I would get more homesick and I didn't want to. And three, like being, being more present on campus allowed me to build community. And I really, really needed that. Um, in a predominantly white institution, I really needed to build community and be connected. Mm -hmm. um, so my mom oftentimes didn't, I guess they didn't get to see me change from the person she knew in high school and then seeing everything that influenced me and, and, and changed me for, for the better, right? That made me really realize who I was. Um, and the last thing I'll end with saying is I, I grew up in Humble Park. I'm being Mexican. <laughs> All my classmates, my teachers were Puerto Rican. So people always think I'm from Puerto Rico, but I'm not. But all this to say is that I never felt like a minority until I went to Iowa. I never really realized like all the injustices that I was seeing every day, like I, I was like in my bubble, right? And that's one of the things that I am glad that I left because then I started to realize, right? And I, and I started to, to understand what role I play and, and what role I could play. And I think that really truly influenced everything else, all the decisions that I made afterwards and, and when the place that I am in now. Wow. You know, mm. Yes, me too. I didn't realize how broke we were until I left. Like, dang, we were broke, broke. Yes. We're, yes. We're our yes. <laughs> yes. My mom was a street vendor too. And I didn't oh. realize, I was like, I, to me, that was fun. But I was yeah. like, we're broke, broke. Like, we needed to do all the kinds of little jobs to keep the lights on. But I never knew, right? I never knew I, that. It builds character. So Lynette, uh, your mom thought you worked for Obama too? No, well, um, yeah, she thought that I was <laughs> at the White House. And um, even to this day, it's hard to explain, right? Um, but beyond like actually knowing what the day-to-day -day job, I, I don't know, something you said, Maria, like reminded me of a previous job I had where um, that's where I knew I'm like, oh, this is going to be hard to like explain. At a previous job, I think I got a, a job offer and my, you know, I, I'm told here in DC, you have to ask for more. You can't, you have to negotiate. You can't settle. And my mom's like response was like, why? Like why you're, you should be grateful. You got the job. Um, 
like, why are you going to negotiate? If you negotiate, they're going to, they're going to take it away from you. Yeah. And so it was like at that moment that I realized, oh, this is going to be a lifelong, like, experience, <laughs> you know, like ongoing thing where, um, you know, I, I just know like who to go to when I have those sorts of questions. And I explained to her, this is why it's so important because, you know, my white male counterpart, he's not going to feel ashamed of asking for more and they will not take it away from him. And um, so anyway, that that's just one experience of like beyond like understanding what I do. It's also all these other like unspoken rules on, the, you know, in DC or in any, any job, right? Um, that my parents, you know, maybe didn't have to navigate that now I'm like navigating first gen by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's, it's sometimes harder to describe. Yes. Oh my goodness. You know, I have heard that too, you know, in terms of like (laughs) negotiating salaries. I think women don't do it, but then again, being Latina, our parents, it's like, you're just supposed to be like, gracias, thank you. Yes, Yes, I'll do it. Right. And it's like, no, because our white colleagues are not doing that. Um, We do need to learn how to negotiate. And you're right. I don't think I ever had anyone um, guide me in that direction. Right. Like when it was time to negotiate, even like benefits, um, maybe not necessarily the ability to negotiate a salary, but even just benefits. Um, I had no one telling me, like, don't settle for that. It was kind of like, yeah, you just are thankful for the opportunity and mm-hmm. um, and accept because you run the risk of that <laughs> offer being <laughs> taken away yeah. from you. Um, very, very relatable. And I think that's why I'm so happy to be having this episode, because I'm sure there are so many other young Latinas mm-hmm. in the professional world going through this. And so if you're listening, don't be afraid to negotiate. Um, definitely ask for your worth. Um, and then I was in my feelings the other day talking about this very subject of like, my parents still don't understand. I was presenting at like conferences and going down to like Illinois State University to talk to a bunch of professors. And my mom was like, para que? ¿Y tus hijos? Because I'm, I'm a mom too. I have two little ones. And, ¿Y tu esposo qué va a decir? ¿No le vas a hacer de comer? So like, we're like, still trying to. <laughs> we're like, um. Right. And it's like, Jason, I'm like, Jason's adulto. <laughs> Honestly, shout out to my husband. I know, that's Jason. 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 Hi, Jason. Hey, Jason. Hi, Jason. Hi, Jason. Over there, being quiet. I mean, Maria can attest to it. Every single day I show up with my little pink Yeti lunchbox with a breakfast, with a lunch. Like, and that's his way of taking care of me. My mom's like, I don't know. ¿Cómo no le de comer? I'm like, huh? Yeah. That's our relationship, right? And like, no es que no lo respete. No es que no tenga tiempo para él. Es que he understands. Last night, case in point, the congressman flew in from uh, from Philadelphia where he was at an issues conference with the Democratic Party, with the Democratic caucus. And his flight just got delayed. <laughs> and I know, 10, 10, 30, 11, 30 o'clock. And my mom's like, ¿Dónde estás? I'm like, I have to go get the congressman. Pero por qué? You know, because that's, that's, my, responsibility. that's my responsibility. I'm like, I understand, but, you know, there's, yes. you got to take. And, and and I know with the parents, right? Like, they're not, they don't mean ill will, right? Like my No, mom, they don't. They, they're just trying to protect you. My mom did it even when I was in eighth grade got it accepted into, you know, into Whitney Young. And I was super excited. I was one of the only girls in my entire class I got in. And my teacher was like, I'm so excited for you. My mom was like, no, no, no. 
tú no puedes ir ahí, está muy lejos. Yes. Ay, oh, no. feo. And I'm like, ma, it was feo in like the 80s. My teacher made my mom come to school. She's like, I need to talk to your mom. And she was like, Señora Santoy, like, you will do her a disservice. If you don't let her go, pues ve aquí a la, a la Curie, a la wherever, a la Hancock. I'm like, all great schools. But like, if I had the opportunity that some of my classmates didn't, mm-hmm. you know, where, 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 where would we be? Mm-hmm. She likes yeah. to I, love her too. I went to see that. I had amazing seat. <laughs> I my mom. I was in DC. I was really sad. I really wanted to go, but she had a great time. Um, yeah. So... So I was in my feelings about that very reason. It's, and it seems like you guys can totally relate. Like, I was like, man, you know, I was telling my husband, um, cause he's white. And so he, his, even, I feel like my, my in-laws, um, have a better sense of like what I do and understand like, uh, just the, the, the amount of effort and work that it takes. Whereas my mom is more like, tienes que hacer esto en la casa y tus hijos tienen que comer y tienes que cuidar a tu marido. And, Kind of like you, Julissa, my husband does everything. I mean, he packs my lunch every day and I'm super spoiled. And Where shout out to Brett. Can, can I order one of those? Where <laughs> do I find one of those? For me, that, that's been the problem. Like not only the the parent, but also like in relationships, right? Not understanding of like, well, what do you mean you have to work on the weekends? What do you mean you have to do the evenings? And that always continues to be like, I feel like, I'm split from my family. I'm split from, you know, when I've been in a relationship of like, oh, they don't understand my, my commitment Mm -hmm. in in my profession. And even though I lived, so I, you know, I left home when I was 18 to go down to U of I and spent eight years there, undergrad, grad school. And then after that, I came home, was unemployed for like (laughs) nine months. And it was really tough trying to find a job. And I remember my dad at that point is like, do something and I'm like dad I have a PhD like I'm trying to find a job job mm-hmm. and it's funny because you know then I was like all right well I, I couldn't find a job here so I ended up going to DC and I left for six years and two years in, in Texas and through that time it was really difficult even more right to like kind of convey what I did all I knew again to like Lynette I'm like, no, I don't stop telling people that I don't even work on, like I work on Pennsylvania Ave, but not on the other side, the Southeast side. Um, and then in Texas, it was like even more difficult for them to understand like what you're at a political organization training people to run for office. So what are you doing? Right. Yeah. And it wasn't until coming back home, almost like what, you know, 14, 15 years later now, um, have, having to move back home after not now as an adult adult as a professional and still having to check in like, oh my God, yes, las doce, ¿dónde andas? And I'm, no, no me puedo dormir hasta que llegues. And my, yes. joke, I respect my mom. My joke is always like, well, what did you do when I didn't live here for 15 years? That is so, <laughs> I'm like, man, it's that just so hilarious. You know, but, but so when I was in my feelings, I came to the conclusion though, that like, thank God my parents are the way because it keeps us humble. Doesn't it? I feel like at the end of the day, it keeps you grounded (laughs) and your parents will be the first one to be like, no importa que seas directora, aquí no mandas. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) I live alone and my mom still texts me. I'm like, mom, mom. 
<laughs> for every roommate. <laughs> yes. And you know, I think that actually is beautiful and we'll appreciate it as aggravating as it can feel sometimes speaking from experience, like, I, yeah, um, <laughs> I, I definitely have grown to appreciate it uh, because it definitely, I think keeps you humble. It keeps you grounded. And um, it also impacts the way I'm raising even my own children, right? Like, I get it now that I'm a mom. I'm like, dang, yo tampoco no puedo dormir si no estoy en la casa. Para allá voy, aunque no me guste, I'll be like, where you at? <laughs> All right, so it's been so much fun talking to you. I, I feel like I could talk to you ladies for hours. Um, I'm just going to wrap it up with a general question of um, where do you see Latinas in the next 10 years? No, I can have that. Okay, come on, Patty, let's go. Let's go. The goal goal is that we are in every room in any space, right? Whether it's a boardroom or the classroom or in Congress, lo que sea, like that we are in those spaces. I think it's about damn time that, Mm -hmm. and there's more than one of us, right? With given our numbers, um, that we are reflected in every uh, leadership role, but also in the hiring roles, right? And making the decisions, um, being able to really guide the, the, our, our, our country and our communities. Um, I would really like to see on the education space more than anything. I feel like in that area, um, we've been very underutilized. You, you see there's hardly any Latina principals, Latina superintendents, you know, Latina college presidents, provosts, all of that. And, and you know, then there's a lot of women in, in education, but that's reflective of all the other areas. So I feel like representation for me is the biggest piece of like, we have to be in, in more roles and, and this lo mismo in the political scene, right? Being able to see more Latinas in, in public spaces and Latinas getting paid well, right? To your other point of pay me, we gotta bring that parity up, you know, half, half of what someone else is making is not right. Um, so I, I hope my, my, the, the goal is that, you know, we get more Latina, raise the visibility of Latinas and that we have, we are getting paid our, our worth. Mm, Cause we are out here grinding. Julissa, where do you think we'll be in the next 10 years? Um, I see this Zoom meeting times you know, five, uh, 20 of us instead of four of us in the, in Let's the chat. Let's go! So, oh, we're responsible for bringing up the next gen, right? Um, I mm-hmm. think in, in everything that we do, right? Even I, I love where we are now, right? What a blessing that there's four of us. Uh, there's more women in the office that are, are not here, but there's so many of us. We dominate the office, so let's be honest. So I think... Um, <laughs> more women in elected official positions, more women, you know, in DC in the policymaking space, uh, as someone who is near, who has friends near and dear in that space, uh, I see how hard they work and I wanna see them, you know, get recognized for the work that they do. And I think I take it, uh, I take it personally to, you know, help those that are coming, you know, behind me, the, the younger gen, there's a couple of younger folks in our office and I'm constantly like, okay, like, what piece of advice can I give them? Uh, what experience that, you know, I maybe screw up a little bit on and I can help them finesse it. So I think building up the next gen and uh, seeing way more of us and these code switching spots, I think is going to be yeah. a beautiful place to, to be. You know, the, this young generation, because I hire a lot of the Gen Zers now, like my young teachers, the, hey, they are relentless. They are not, I don't think that there is like, 
fearful or maybe even shy. I felt like I was shy or like scared to to, to speak up. They are not afraid. I'm like, dang. They got, so, they got feelings. Let's go. <laughs> and they're very Don't well, I think they are well uh, in, in tune with their identity and who they are and they embrace it. You know, I didn't necessarily have that growing up. So I'm very optimistic about this new generation. They are relentless. All right, Maria, where do you think? I think when Patty said what I wanted to say was along the lines of that, of where it's no longer a surprise that there's like the first Latina here, the first woman there, like it's no longer, right? Like we don't have any more of those because we already are in those spaces and Mm -hmm. we are more than just one. Mm. I still want to see a Latina president though, I ain't gonna lie. (laughs) First Latina. I don't see in 10 years, but hopefully. Right, let's go. She's out there. She's out there. Patty, I'm just kidding. I was thinking AOC. I'm like, that's what I was thinking too. Well, you know, her name swirled a lot with uh, when she was a surrogate for Bernie as a running mate, as a VP. Yeah. Eventually, like when she makes the age mark. Yes, I definitely. And I think in 10 years, she'll hit it. She'll make a lot of folks. Yes. (laughs) Yes. All right. And then let's wrap it up with you, Lynette. That rhymes yeah. with Lisette. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, echoing what everyone said, I want to see Latinas at the decision-making table, wherever that may be. Um, but I think beyond that, I, I, I want to see like a generation, like you mentioned, they're already coming, but like a fearless, you know, throwing away that imposter syndrome. Um, I want to see Latinas like, um, no longer have to, you know, debate like between the the kids and the career. Like I want to see like a, I don't know, a future that can support this next generation of Latinas. Beautifully said. I'm glad we ended with you, uh, Lynette. Um, so thank you so much girls I feel like I've known you guys forever we're sitting here talking from like identities and our moms to bad bunny like I think that's the beauty of being in in compañía right that you understand each other's experiences even though we've never met outside of today um well you guys know each other um but thank you so much it was a pleasure um we'll be in touch and I hope that we'll continue to see more of each other if you guys ever have any education questions listen <laughs> I know that Chewy's prima is a superintendent in DeKalb. I actually used to work in DeKalb. Minerva, yeah, she's doing her thing. Um, and hey, she is because it ain't easy. Let me, she, I'm I'll tell you, she's missed. She is very much missed. Yes, yes. But we DeKalb, hey, DeKalb needs someone like her. I mean, she is definitely being a change agent. And um, I worked in that community and that community just was not ready. And so I was like, we ended up moving, and I'm so glad she's there because. Uh, there are a lot of Latinos in DeKalb right now and they need her. And, and I think, again, having that representation isn't just good for, for Hispanic kids or Mexican kids. It's good for everyone, right? White students need to see someone like Minerva just as much as Black students need to see someone like Minerva because that's how we break down those stereotypes. So she's doing her thing. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, ladies. Enjoy your Saturday. Maria, tell your mama I said, hey, I hope you go out to eat with her. <laughs> Now you can have brunch. You can have brunch. Perfect. Bye. All right, girls. Take care. Good luck. Bye. Bye.